Oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. I got a bunch of comedy dates coming up. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. Uh, big one, May 12th at the Verizon Wireless in Grand Prairie, Texas. And that one is with Tony Hinchcliffe and Ian Edwards. And then uh, July 7th at the Ka Theater, the MGM in Las Vegas, Nevada. Everything else will be up soon. It's all at JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. If I seem a little low energy, a little NPR right now, a little mellow, it's, uh, you'll, you'll understand after you listen to the second podcast today. We did two podcasts today. One with uh, Ron Miscavige, who's David Miscavige's dad. Miscavige? Miscavige. David Miscavige's dad, who's the guy who runs Scientology. And the other one with Brennan Schaub and Eddie Bravo. And that one went off the rails and into the woods. But we'll get to that in a minute. A minute. <clears throat> this episode of the podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom. LegalZoom is a service that allows you to do all sorts of legal shit online, like you can start a nonprofit. You can start a corporation or an LLC. You can use LegalZoom to do it. And LegalZoom is not a law firm. So you don't pay online in an hourly way. You pay a one-time fee. It's all there on LegalZoom. Transparency, upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. LegalZoom's LegalZoom is not a law firm, but they have a network of independent attorneys who can review contracts, help with employment laws, and advise you on the many hurdles that pop up when you run a business. LegalZoom is awesome for all kinds of different things, folks. Check it out, and there's no surprises. They provide complete transparency, and you can see how LegalZoom can make life better for you and your business today. If you go to LegalZoom.com and use the code ROGAN at checkout for some special savings, that's LegalZoom.com, and use the code word ROGAN. Oh, shit. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. O-N-N-I-T. Onnit is a total human optimization company. It's a company whose main goal is to provide people with the tools, the inspiration, and the information to get your shit together, to take it to the next level, whether it's through strength and conditioning programs like Keith Weber's Extreme Kettlebell Cardio Workout. That's uh, one of the best cardio workouts you're ever going to do, ladies and gentlemen. And you could bust your ass with one single 35-pound kettlebell. We have those DVDs. He has a whole series of them. Uh, Keith Weber has also been on the podcast in the past. If you want to go back into the archives and find that, it's... Uh, pretty dope and he's a he's a really really interesting guy and very very knowledgeable and his his kettlebell cardio workout fitness dvd if you go to the fitness dvds he's got a series of them and they're fucking brutal where is it here extreme kettlebell three fuck that one fuck all of them fuck two too fuck one they're all hard they're brutal i mean fuck you in a good way but we also have strength and conditioning equipment in the form of the best kettlebells you could buy with the perfect shaped handles. Um, I, I like the, the big gaps of the regular kettlebells, but I like the artistic quality of the, um, the legend bells and the primal bells and the zombie bells. We have these kettlebells that are made out of uh, cast iron, 3D balanced, but they're made in all these different cool shapes. Uh, like uh, the primal bells are all the great apes. Like the gorilla, we have an orangutan. We even have a Bigfoot, 90-pound Bigfoot. That one's my dog. It's, it's a great, 
uh, way to work out, and it's also a piece of functional art that will literally last forever. The legend bells, there's a werewolf, a cyclops, and a harpy, and then there's a series of zombies. Uh, all sorts of different weights, and plus we have regular kettlebells, and we also have steel clubs, steel maces, all things that promote functional strength, things like sandbags and ab wheels, things that give you strength that you can apply to athletics and even just to everyday life, just feels good to be stronger. Oh, shit. We also have an Onnit Academy. That's a big part of what Onnit is. If you click on the Onnit Academy link, you're taken to a section of the website that uh, is one of my favorite places on the internet because it's filled with all sorts of awesome workouts like um, different uh, kettlebell workouts, different uh, different workouts for different body parts, different workouts for endurance, um, guides, nutrition guides, diet guides, uh, articles on exercise physiology. And there's a lot of motivational stuff and some Q&As. There's a cool one up right now with Cub Swanson, who is uh, headlining the UFC this weekend against Artem Lobov. Uh, this this ad's too long. But anyway, Onnit.com, there's an Onnit Academy. The Onnit Academy in Austin, Texas has 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, and it also has Bang Muay Thai. So uh, get your shit together and go there. Awesome workout facility. And uh, use the code word Rogan at Onnit.com, and you'll save 10% off any and all supplements. Oh. We're also brought to you by Audible the internet's leading provider of audio entertainment with an unparalleled collection of amazing audiobooks. May I suggest my pal Bert Kreischer's The Life of the Party? Or may I suggest Sam Harris's Waking Up? Or Lawrence Krauss, who was on last month? Uh, I am reading, listening at the same time to his book, The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far, and uh, he narrates it on Audible dot com forward slash joe if you go there you will get a free 30-day trial Ooh wee audible.com is a fantastic service folks i am a huge fan of audiobooks and if you are and you don't know about audible.com oh you silly fool please go please go to audible.com forward slash joe to get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial Audible, it's uh, really awesome having them as a sponsor as well because Audible has always been uh, a big supporter of stand-up comedians, and they even had a thing for a while that they're doing where comics would do like a fresh new five minutes every week. It was pretty interesting. But audible.com forward slash Joe, go there, free audiobook and a 30-day trial, and I'm telling you, an insane, insane collection of amazing audiobooks. Just every single subject, every topic, every genre. Audible.com forward slash Joe. <sighs> okay. Um, my guest today reached out to me. I had my friend Leah Remini on the podcast who uh, used to be a big time Scientologist and then decided to quit the organization and do a television show about it. And um, I wanted to talk to her about it. I'm fascinated. And so I got this uh, email saying that uh, David... Miss Cabbage, who's the head dude at Scientology, that his dad wanted to come on the show. I'm like, what? And then I'm like, is his dad mad at me? <laughs> I thought his dad was going to, you know, my son's religion is not bullshit, you fucking punk, and knock my teeth in. He's a Marine and shit. Uh, actually, he left. He left the, the organization uh, a few years back in 2012, and he wrote a book about it. So he wants to come on and talk about it. Well, so then my publicist gets this email from the folks at Scientology that are basically explaining that they have a retort to uh, his book and they have a website. So I feel like 
especially since this is the second podcast about Scientology, and I got that email. I'm like, they didn't threaten me in any way, shape, or form. They were very reasonable about it. Reasonable? I'll say it again. They were very reasonable about it. But I felt like, at the very least, I should put up their URL. So that's why I did that in the beginning of the podcast. I told him, I'm saying, like, let me just get out of the way. Just let me say what Scientology is saying about you when they knew that you were coming on, and then let's just talk about this thing. Um, look, it's a fucked up story, folks. <sighs> it's always a fucked up story when a father and a son don't communicate anymore. And uh, when the father writes a book about the son. And then there's the Scientology part of it. So uh, without further ado, please welcome Ron Miskiewicz. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. And we're live. What's good. up, Ron? How are you? I'm doing okay. How you doing all right? Yeah. <laughs> doing good, man. <laughs> So this quick is start. Been, I came in here 10 seconds ago. We're on the air. You I know? know. Well, I wanted it to be that way. It's, okay. it's more natural. Sometimes like some of the best stuff gets said off mic. So we figured now how to do it where people get in and as soon, pretty much as soon as we sit down, we start talking. Um, no, no complaints. So you contacted us after the Leah Remini interview. Right. And you wanted to get on and you have this book that you wrote. It's yeah. called Ruthless. What's the correct pronunciation? It's Cavage? Miss Cavage? No, Miss Cavage. Miss Cavage. Yeah, the actual name of the book is Ruthless right. Scientology, My Son David, Miss Cavage, and Me. Right. Now, let me, let me just say this before we get started, because Scientology, this is the first time I've ever been contacted. They sent a, uh, an email to my publicist, and they have a rebuttal to what you wrote, and their rebuttal is at a website ronmiscavagebook.com and they want people to know about their website which is scientology.org and they have a statement this is their statement ron miscavige is seeking to make money on the name of his famous son david miscavige oh david miscavige has taken care of his father throughout his life both financially and by helping him in even the most dire circumstances Ron Miscavige was nowhere around when David Miscavige ascended to the leadership of the Church of Scientology, mentioned by and working directly with the religion's founder, L. Ron Hubbard, and entrusted by him with the future of the church. Any father exploiting his son in this manner is a sad exercise of betrayal. Mr. David Miscavige's far-reaching vision and unrelenting dedication has brought the Church of Scientology to where it is today, guaranteeing its future for generations to come. Scientologists worldwide love and respect Mr. Miscavige for his tireless work on behalf of their religion. So that's, that's their statement. That's okay. what they wanted to say. And I feel like it's only fair. You know, we had Leah Remini on, and we have you on, and I've had uh, Louis Theroux on. Right. And, look, I feel like I don't know the story, but anytime a father is so disconnected from his son, they have to write a book about him. It's a sad time. Do you feel like that? No. You don't feel sad at all? I don't feel that I just woke up one day and said, I'd like to write a book about Scientology. Right. And if I can give you a short, encapsulated statement, I think we could set a nice groundwork for the whole interview. You mind if I do that? Sure. Okay. 
I was a Scientologist for 42 years. Were you raised in it? No, I got my family in, in 1970. But I was in the church for 42 years. The last 26 and a half years, I worked at the international base in Hemet, California. I escaped from that base on March 25th, 2012. You escaped? Escaped, that's right. I had to plan that escape for six months. We can go into this in more detail, but just let me give you this short story. Okay. About a year and a half later, there was a private investigator caught by the name of Dwayne Powell, who was around the corner from my house, looking at a house to buy so he could spy on me from that house. And they, oh, this is no shit. <laughs> So a, a lady in the neighborhood saw him, and she thought he was a drug dealer or out, up to no good. So she called the West Dallas police, and Nick Pye came out and confronted the guy. He gave Nick some shit, and Nick said, hey, listen, man, you're under arrest. Do you mind if I look in your car? So Nick went to the van and opened it up, and in a trunk, there were five license plates from five different states. There were two handguns, a stun gun, two rifles, one fitted up with a silencer, and 2,000 rounds of ammunition. So they arrested the guy. They took him in for interrogation. And then his son came looking for him because his son was a partner in this business. The father's name was Dwayne Powell, and the son was Daniel Powell. Daniel came looking for his father. And by the way, if you want to hear these interviews, they're on Tony Ortega's website. Tony Ortega, the underground bunker. You can hear what I'm telling you. Okay. So Daniel is telling me, you know, how they operated. They were getting paid $10,000 a week to follow me and report on my doings from 8 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock every night. An incident <laughs> happened in Janesville, Wisconsin. This is, it's it's kind of like, fun. What do you do? Like, what could you possibly do that'd be worth studying? Is it just to freak you out? Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, if you follow, like, if I follow Jamie, you know what, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get Jamie looking at the internet, Jamie watching basketball, maybe Jamie goes to the gym, maybe Jamie goes for a run, maybe yeah. Jamie goes on Tinder and does a little right, right, <laughs> swiping right. Yeah. I okay. don't know. Okay, what but do I'm, people I'm do telling- that you could get out of watching them? It's not like you're out there burying bodies. No kidding. Anyway, let's, let me continue okay, because this goes on. So they're interrogating them. That's right. Nick Pye, and there was an alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agent, Ricky Hankins. Right. And because they were concerned about that silencer, sure. they thought, hey, maybe they're out to hit me. Right. Because I am the father of the chairman of the board. Right. So then Daniel, the son, is being interrogated, and he said they, they followed me to a town called Janesville, Wisconsin, where I went shopping in an Aldi's grocery store. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is very detailed. Well, I'm telling you, this is what happened. So I come out, and I had bags of grocery, and it was the summertime, so I had a pocket T-shirt on. I bent over to put the groceries in the car. I thought my cell phone was going to fall out. I grabbed my left chest. They're looking at me in the van, which they had been following me in. They saw me. The father called his uh, contact and said, listen, it looks like the target is having a heart attack. What shall we do? They referred to me as the target. Right? Oh, Jesus. No shit. You got a silencer and fucking 2,000 rounds of ammo. All right. Okay. So they called. The guy, Greg, said, listen, l- let me call you back. A couple minutes later, a guy come on the phone, identified himself as David Miscavige, and he said to them, listen, if it's his time to die, let him die. Don't do anything. Don't intervene. That's my son. Mm. All right. Well, it didn't just happen, right? I mean, you didn't, you didn't, I don't, I don't want to interrupt your story because yeah. I feel like it goes on. But I mean, your relationship with your son didn't just start there. So it had to, it had to go sour. No shit. Right? 
Listen, my relationship with David when he was a kid was incredible. I mean, we got along great. He was a, a snappy little kid. He was just very bright, great sense of humor. Uh, just I enjoyed his company. But as he grew older, as he got into Scientology, which I got him in, by the way, and I can get into that, how I got him in, he then started acquiring power. And I think he went from Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde. As an example, when I worked on staff, he never referred to me as dad. He called me Ron. The base that I lived on in Hammett, it got to the point where if you wanted to send a letter to somebody... You had to write the letter, put it in an unsealed envelope. The security guards would read it, see if there was anything bad in there that I shouldn't be saying. Send it back, and I would correct it. When it was okay, then they'd seal the envelope and send it out. If I wanted to call somebody on the telephone, I had to have somebody listening on the other extension. And this is by his orders? That's or is this run- just how Scientology runs? No, it's not how Scientology works. It, it, he is the undisputed dictator of Scientology. So this is his entire doing. That's the way he wanted it to run. Scientology in 1970, when I got in, was totally different. Than well, it how was. was it then? It was like for a free spirit, you know, just right. very laissez-faire. But you did courses. You, you could come in and do things that would actually improve your ability to communicate, to have better interpersonal relations. I bought the book. I bought Dianetics in yeah. 1994 because right. uh, I moved to California and I was really into self-help books and stuff like that. And I saw one of those uh, late night infomercial ads. Yeah. And I was like, this looks like, you know, the reactive mind. Hey, I want to want to have control yeah. of the reactive yeah. mind. And, uh, you know, I got into it. and I read it a little bit and I was like, hmm, some, probably some good principles in here, some decent ideas. And I always associated Scientologists with being... Um, positive people that got a lot of things done. That's, that's a very true statement. And I'm telling you, at what they call the bottom of the bridge, because the entire Scientology experience would be a bridge to total freedom. Mm-hmm. You enter in at a certain point, you're given basic things, basic courses, basic communication skills that you're taught. And I'm telling you, you go out on the street after you do this stuff, and you're more effective in handling life. So the early stages of it, you feel... I. Absolutely. They're very effective. I mean, they were effective then. They're effective today. Mm -hmm. If you learn the proper communication formula, that will improve your life alone. Sure. Just communicating correctly, knowing there's there's parts of it. It's not just, hey, you, and the other guy says, what do you want? No, there's literally get the other person's attention, make sure uh, you're giving him a communication that he can understand. You're not going to talk to somebody in French if he's English, you know, just all little details that you learn and you drill these. And then there's other things about uh, interpersonal relationships with your wife or a group. You learn these, you're better off. So they're essentially telling you how to be a better person in the beginning. Yes. And part of that, you would then also become more positive just simply by having these skills. Well, this sounds good. It is good. So where does it it go bad? Well, here's where it goes bad. Look, the further on you get in, the uh, let me back up a second. Let's say you learn the component parts of of communication. Uh Uh-huh. And you say, hey, you know what? This is good shit. Right. You agree to that. That's the first step on taking you on this entire journey. And then you maybe you'll learn how you could divide your business into seven parts so that you could monitor various parts of it or your life into seven parts so you could manage uh, how you're doing income-wise, how education mm-hmm. is your public relations. 
These are all things you can easily agree to. So now, a little later on, there's a datum or a fact introduced that doesn't quite make sense to you. But you think, you know what? Everything they told me was good so far. I'm just going to accept this. Now you're on the road. Can you give me an example? Um, Like, is it like Xenu type shit? Well, yeah, that would be a big that's, example. But that's, but that's way that's, down the line, right? That's way down the line. But there's any, there's some early wackiness that give you like indications that things. Well, might no, be I'm going to tell you something. You know, I, I think you're right. I think that's the one where you've agreed to so many things so far, mm-hmm. and all of the auditing you've gotten that that's helped you. When it, it comes to that, as an example, when I got on that level, I thought, well, wait a minute. There's 150 billion people on 76 nearby planets. And they brought him here in spaceships. How the fuck did they get everybody here? Right. I looked at it from uh, physics like, point of view. Yeah. From, yeah, from a point of view of logistics. Right, it's a lot of spaceships. But I thought, well, I'll accept it. I'll just do it. Hundred fifty billion people per planet. That mm. was the problem. Was overpopulation. Right. Oh. But do you see what I'm saying? So at that point, you've agreed <laughs> to so many things that were right. Right. I understand. When it comes up to that. You're not going to say, hey, you're out of your goddamn so mind. It's, it's helping you give you a direction in life. It's making you more positive. It's giving you better communication skills. You have uh, a structure that you can follow when you communicate with people. Yeah. It makes you more presentable. So everything's good in the beginning. Yeah. Why doesn't somebody just take that part and just like get rid of the rest? Listen, I tell in my book what we're looking at right here. You know, Ruthless Scientology, my son David Miscavige and me. I say at the very end, if they were to, if they were to just to stick to the beginning things, mm-hmm. number one and number two, have a general amnesty where they forgive everybody who they think has tried to done them in. The shit's going to hit the fan, but maybe at the end of it, you'd get some people back and knock off the disconnection policy. I think if they did that, it could be one of the best self-help groups ever. But once you get up into those upper levels where they tell you you're going to become a superhuman, as an example, you will be able to, as a spiritual being, leave your body and go some other place, as an example, and read a newspaper in Germany. Huh. It's not like remote viewing. Yes. And I'm going to tell you, Joe, I was involved for 42 years. You never went to Germany? No. Never left France your body. in Portugal, but you know what the <laughs> fuck? You know, I, <laughs> no, seriously though, right. I never met one person that ever achieved that. Mm. Nor did I achieve it. But you don't talk about it. I understand. One of the things that say you don't talk about your case to somebody else, so that's compartmentalized. So everybody who's done this is thinking, eh, I never got it. Maybe I'm the only one. Right. So like maybe if I just keep working at this, one day I'm going to pop through. That's exactly it. And you keep now, on going for the next level. Do they explain how you're going to do that? Is it through meditation techniques? Is it through some sort of <clears throat> hypnosis? Like, how how are they supposed to go to Germany and read a newspaper? Well, out of their body. Th- there's drills that, you, that you, they have you do, like in the earlier, what they call OT levels, uh-huh. operating Thetan. Thetan is a word they use for spiritual being. Right. All right. And one of the drills that you would do would be spot three objects outside of your body, spot three objects inside your body, spot three objects outside your body, spot three objects inside your body on a repetitive basis. And that's supposed to let you out. So is that as an like, example? So it's like a meditation. So I, you, yeah, I guess it would be. When I you never, say spot, are you saying like envision? 
Well, I mean, in the physical universe, you can so you look, look at, at three like spots. That, like that clock, this book, like yeah, that kind of thing. Three of them. And then inside your body, just think. You, about you'd envision three your, spots. Your in lungs, your, body. your yeah. ribs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then the other thing is, like when you get to OT three and you're talking about body thetans, mm-hmm. these are the alien beings that were brought here, put on a nearby volcano, and a hydrogen bomb was set off, <laughs> and they sent up a ray, grabbed these people. <laughs> look at. Oh. You can look on the internet and find oh, this no, out. Oh, no, I've read it all. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. And what happens then is they are all latched to your body like a bunch of fleas. Damn it. And they're affecting your th- your thinking. Right. And your personality. And the idea on these upper levels is to get rid of all of them and uh, achieve this. Nobody's ever done it. Like, if there were three people who did it, I'd say, yeah, you know, maybe it can be right. done. Not, not a fucking one. Excuse my French, buddy. No, you can swear away. Okay. This Listen, I got my doctorate degree in swearing in the United States Marine Corps. But, you know. <laughs> so how did you go from that to this? How do you go from the Marine Corps, which is about as real as it gets, to, yeah. to this? Well. You're just looking to improve yourself? Like- yes. I, I was always looking. Listen, as a little kid in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, where I was born and raised, I used to go up in our garret or the attic, whatever you want to call it. And my dad had all these books there. And I used to take books off the shelf and read them and try to find out about life. I was always looking for something and um, always looking to improve myself or find a better way to live. And I had a friend back in the 60s, um, Nelson Sandy. I'm a musician, too. I don't know whether you knew that. No, I didn't. Yeah, I played professionally my whole life. Nelson Sandy, and I also been in the sales business because I had four kids, and you know, you got to pay the bills no matter what you do. So Nelson was a friend of mine in sales, and one day he said to me, Ron, how would you like to make an extra $100,000 a year? So, what the hell, you know? Great. So he introduced me to something called Holiday Magic. That's a, it was a multi-marketing scheme. Oh. All right? Okay. You know what I mean by yeah, multi-marketing like scheme. Yeah, scheme. Right? Yeah. So what scheme? Pyramid scheme, right? Pyramid, yeah. Yeah. So I went to an opportunity meeting, and I thought, you know, maybe I could do this. So I bought in, and I started doing it. And one day, we're at an opportunity meeting that we were running. And there's a girl standing next to me talking to a guy over here, and I'm talking to this guy. This guy says, I'm a Scientologist. I just hang on a second. What is that? I pinned him down for about a half an hour, and for whatever reason, the name rang a bell. So he told me that I could go visit somebody who was a Scientologist, and they discuss it one day a week. Guy by the name of Frank Ogle in Woodbury, New Jersey. By the way, you're from North Jersey, aren't you? Yeah, Newark. Newark, yeah. Okay, so I go to this place, and he would have little classes where he'd talk about communication and various things. I went there for about four days in a month, like for a month, one day a week. And I thought, okay, I got it now. Another factor here, David when he was born, was cursed with an asthma condition. That was the bane of his existence. I mean, as a little baby, sometimes he turned blue. He couldn't breathe out, and it was horrible to watch this. And I was the one who took care of that just about totally. As a matter of fact, when he would have these attacks, I would take him to a a pediatrician in Burlington, New Jersey, called Dr. Ziegler. He'd give him a shot of adrenaline. And I knew that giving a little kid a shot of adrenaline was not great, okay? So I would try all kinds of home. They didn't have inhalers back then? They had inhalers, but that's handling the the symptom, not the cause. And I I didn't know what to do to handle the cause. Right. 
I used to do shit like one winter. He's just in a full-blown attack, turning blue. It's in a cold jersey, you know, cold jersey winter. I took him upstairs to the bathroom, took off his clothes, took off mine, stood in the shower, said, David, I'm not punishing, man. I'm with you. I had the warm water on. I turned it off. That water's that coming out of there about 34 degrees. He started breathing, kicked it, wiped him down with a Turkish towel. That handled it for the moment. I used to do shit like that, anything to handle him. So now I found out about Scientology from this Nelson Sandy, and Frank Ogle was the guy. I took David down one day, and I said, is there anything you can do for David with Scientology auditing, which is basically another word for counseling. Right. He took David in, and 45 minutes later, Dave comes out. I say, how's it going? He says, Dad, I'm handled. And he never had another severe attack in his entire youth. He had How is that possible? With communication. With communication, you can stop asthma? You come to the point where you have a realization, maybe where it started or how you could be contributing to it, or maybe where it starts kicking in. How old was he when you brought him in there? I guess this was, he was about nine years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So like what, what tools did they use to help him kick asthma? That communication, but what do you just, like the just communication? Like, hi, what's 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 going on? You got asthma, well, buddy. No, That's the, communication. Like, what yeah. do you mean by communication? Okay, he did. You used what's called creative processing, which okay. is something that they used to use. And what it is is, you figure out how you could be contributing to that, and then you do a mental image picture of something that you think you're doing to contribute to that. And back and forth. It, mm-hmm. It's a little, for me to try to explain it in a little session like this, it's a little hard because, well, it's a little hard to understand, but it, it did work on him. So you're saying in some sense, asthma may be psychosomatic and maybe in your head? For him, it was him. to that degree. Yes, okay. I am saying and he that. he never got asthma again? He never had a severe attack again. He had minor attacks. But, but he, he was able to, to stop them with these He methods. used to get attacked so bad. That it would debilitate him. I mean, he was out of school for a week one time with an asthmatic attack. This is before we, I ever took him to see Frank Ogle. Mm-hmm. And um, that impressed me. The fact that this, this handled that for the moment anyway. So with that and some other things, I decided I'm going to get my whole family in Scientology. Because look, his whole life, that was a problem for me to handle. And this, at least at that moment, got him to the point where he was like in charge of it. It didn't happen to him again that severe. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So that's what persuaded you to begin? Quite a bit. So everything was good for a while? Right. I got in. I'll tell you how good it was. I got in and my whole family got in. I decided to take my whole family to England. And in 1972, I moved there for a year and three months and had the whole family study Scientology. In England? Yeah. Yeah, and then came back for a little while and went over again in 1974, uh, study more Scientology. When I was there that time, I got a recording deal with the Polydor Company, solo album, and I got a writer's contract with uh, Chapels Publishing, and I got asked to play on BBC. It's, all of this is in the book, by the way. I'll give you details So this on it. was all while L. Ron Hubbard was alive? While he was alive, yeah. Did you meet him? Never met him. Nope. But your son did? Listen, my son joined the Sea Organization when he was 16 years old. Within seven months, he was working with L. Ron Hubbard. What is this? The Sea Organization is... Uh, th- explain that to people. Okay. 
There are several different ways that you could do Scientology. The number one way would be is if you're a public person and you just go into an organization. They're called orgs. You go in and you buy services, but you live in the outside world. You have a job, you have a, a home, you know, mm-hmm. all these things, but you pay for a service. That's number one. Another level would be that you worked for an organization and you could sign a two and a half year or a five year contract to work there. And you Don't would they deli- have like billion year contracts too? Well, now what? You're getting ahead of it. That's public. <laughs> that, that's a, a, working for an organization on the level of a two and a half or a five year contract. The last step would be the C organization. There you sign a billion year contract. You, in other words, you're signing away your future lives to get this Scientology disseminated. Um, has anybody ever challenged one of those billion year contracts? Like, what does it mean? Like, do, do you that owe when them you die, you ha- listen, you're getting the skinny. And <laughs> as hard as this is to believe, once you're in it for a while and you see that this is helping you and maybe your family, the point of it is that they want to get this disseminated to every man, woman and child on the planet and improve life for everybody. So it's like you're on this crusade to get it disseminated. So they believe they're doing this to help people. Yes. Well, all if, sounds good, right? All sounds it, good in the beginning. Well, it reads better than it lives. It's not yeah. that way at all, though. What, well, how is it? How is it? I'll tell you. These days? Right now, like? Sure. They get people to donate money to what's called the International Association of Scientologists or donate money to build an organiz- I mean, uh, build a new church someplace, and they give you a piece of paper and commend you, you know? It's a nice business, low overhead, you know? So you give them money, they give you paper. They give you a commendation or saying you're this you're Some this or level, that. right, you're, you're, you've achieved well, some success. The thing is, look, they've opened a lot of new buildings. But, Joe, there's not people in there. There's air, okay? But they say we're expanding. They're expanding their real estate interests, but they're not expanding the number of people in Scientology. Why is that? Well, if you go on the Internet, you can find out all the abuses they've done, like people going bankrupt. Because they had to contribute so much money that you get a second and third mortgage on their house, give it to the church, they can't afford it, they have to declare bankruptcy, people being disconnected from their families. Yeah, let's talk about that. I want to go back to the Sea Org thing for okay. a second, but then let's talk about that. Yeah. So the Sea Org thing is your son joins the Sea Org when he's 16 years old? Yeah, here's what happened. I came home from work one day, and uh, he's laying in his, in his room on his bed, kind of like that, with his head in his hands. I said, hey, Dave, what's up, man? He says, Daddy, he says, I, I don't want to go to school anymore. He says, why not? He says, listen, all the kids are taking drugs. They just, they don't show the teachers any respect. They're not willing to learn anything. He says, I, I want to I join the Sea Org. I want to help L. Ron Hubbard. Because by this time, we've been to England twice. He's trained to be an auditor. An auditor is a person who applies this technology of Scientology in auditing or counseling, okay? And he says, this is what I want to do. Well, I thought to myself, he's 15, he's going to be 16 shortly. I thought, look, when I was 17, I joined the Marines. My dad had to sign for me because I was only 17. And it probably was one of the best moves I ever made. I mean, the first night in boot camp, I said to myself, this is the worst fucking mistake I've ever made in my life. At that moment, 12 weeks later, I said to myself, I can make myself do anything. And in that 12 weeks, 
it turned me from an undisciplined civilian into a disciplined Marine. And I've utilized that my whole life. It's helped me always. I kind of looked at that and I thought, well, I was 17. Maybe it looked like I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but, but I came out a winner. And if David wants to do this, and what is he going to get out of going to school? And he has no desire to do anything else. I said, okay, I'll help you. So that was it. So when he was 16, the next day, we put him on a plane. He went down to the Flagland Base in Florida. And as I say, within, I think it was seven or eight months, he was working right with L. Ron Hubbard out in now, California. the Sea Org, like, is it a boat? You're actually on a boat? No. The Sea Organization is a term used because in 1967, Ron started what he called the Sea Project, where he bought this, this ship and invited people to come with him to contribute to this project, saying that his research could be done better away from land masses. I mean, in fact, the law was after him. You know oh, that. right. It was a tax thing, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they were trying to snag him. And when you're out, out in international waters, they can't serve you a, a subpoena. But it was such an adventure story. Right. And, and people it's look, clever. hey, look at... Plus, you get to wear a captain's outfit. <laughs> no, not everybody. He got but, to, right? Oh, yeah. Admiral, not he captain. Gave, did he give himself medals? L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah. You know, I, I never saw that. All I saw was that he was considered the Commodore. Mm. But you remember the Peace Corps? Yes. All right. Now, that was an adventure, and people would go on that. Sure. But they actually were doing something, though. Right. What was the Sea Org doing? Well, the Sea Org was on, on this ship, and they'd have people come there for advanced level services, get that, and uh, they would send missions out to de various organizations to correct any outnesses in the way maybe they were delivering the technology or or fix something that was going wrong. Mm -hmm. It was run like a little uh, military organization. And then the Sea Org went ashore and they established the flag land base in Clearwater, Florida. So that is still referred to as flag. Yeah, when L.R.N. Hubbard had the ships, that was considered the flagship. Okay. Am I filling you in enough yeah. in this? Yeah. So he joined that. He ascended through the ranks. He's working with L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And slowly you guys get disconnected. Is that what happens? No. As a matter of fact, when he was doing that, we were still in very good communication with each other. Like, I'm telling you something. We had a lot of great times together when he was growing up. No two ways about it. And I can't say that it was like bad relationship in any way. There was a guy by the name of Lord Acton. He was a Britisher. He was a member of Parliament. He lived from 1834 to the early 1900s. He's the one that made the observation, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think this is what happened to David. That when L. Ron Hubbard died, he saw a chance to move up, and he got people out of the way who didn't want to cooperate with him, put people on various posts that would cooperate with him, and he took over the ownership and the leadership of Scientology. And what contributed to that was an incident where he had a severe asthmatic attack, and they had to take him to the emergency room of a hospital. Paul Grady is the guy that took him there. And when Paul picked him up after they did the stuff, they handled him, he was okay. David said to Paul, listen, I had a great realization when I was there, and it's this. Power is not granted. It is assumed.
So he assumed the leadership of Scientology, and he rose right to the top. That's how that happened. So how did you get disconnected from him? Well, look, there was an event that he had. Not an event. There's something that he did which he'll always be admired for. He got actually got the Church of Scientology tax exemption. All right? He literally got the IRS to grant the fact that this is a church. You have now a tax exemption. People contribute to it. Can you deduct it? That was a very, very big win. That then gave him power. Okay? I decided to join the C organization in 1985. I wanted to contribute to doing whatever I could to help him. I joined the C organization, and I'm at the Hammett base, you know, the I'm coming out of the music studio because since I was a musician, I worked in the music studio and we did films. I composed music for various technical films we had or public relations films. And I walked out of the studio one day and I saw him a little distance off to the left with an entourage. And I yelled out, hey, Dave. And he turned around and he looked at me. And I'm telling you, Joe, he gave me a look that I thought I better never do that again. On that base, I was then a staff member. The fact that I was biologically his father, and in fact, his father, he, he referred to me as Ron when he spoke to me. When he sent me a gift for my birthday or Christmas or something, he always said, Dear Dad. But that was the beginning. Now, further on down the road we got, the more it became, I used to have to call him Sir after a while, okay? It became more and more me, Ron Miscavige, the staff member, and David, the, the leader of the church. Once they started implementing the rules at the base where you couldn't send a letter out without it being checked, where you surrounded with barbed wire pointing in and pointing out, you couldn't talk on the telephone without having somebody listen, you couldn't drive off on your own to go to a store to get a fucking pair of underwear, you had to order it on the internet. If you got on the internet, there was a filter on it where anything about miscavige or Scientology come up, you'd be blocked. So now I'm living a sequestered life. Waking up in the morning, going to breakfast at 9 o'clock, 9.30, having a muster. You know what a muster is? No. Okay, you line up your people and account for everybody, all right? 12 o'clock, go to lunch, 12.30, line up for another muster, go to work in the afternoon, 5 o'clock, go to dinner, 5.30, go to another muster, and then work the rest of the night. Or sometimes, 9.30 or 10 o'clock, have another muster. That was my life, seven days a week, except on Saturday, you'd work on the grounds to beautify the base. Doesn't sound like a good time, Ron. It's a great existence, Joe. I'm Is telling it? you. <laughs> How would you like to live that way? It doesn't sound good. It wasn't were, were good. Were you stuck? Well, here's the thing. There were enough times when I did things that were good, like we would do an album, and as a matter of fact, here's something that we didn't. I first got in, and there was a book that came out called Mission Earth that L. Ron Hubbard wrote. Edgar Winter. You remember Edgar Winter or no? Edgar Winter, Johnny Winter's brother? Yes. The musician? The musician, the yeah. rock guy. Yeah. Okay, Edgar came to the bass, and we did an album. I played on the album with him. Edgar Winter came yeah. to the... Wow. He was a Scientologist. He was? He probably still is. Wow. One of them's dead, right? Johnny's, Johnny's dead. dead. Yeah, yeah, Johnny's dead, but Edgar... I mean, he was, you have no idea how good he is until you see him operate in the studio. Anyway, I played the trumpet parts on the album. I played solos and some of the stuff. The album, that was what I did, and it was a great time. Bust your ass working, but 
that's a good time. Right. Isaac Hayes. I used to do gigs with him. You, you know, of course, mm-hmm. you know how sure. Isaac Hayes is. Great guy, and those those were fun times. There were other things that we did that turned out good. But then there's time in between where you're working sometimes days on end. With, well, not, okay, a couple days, no sleep. Working your ass off. And if you screwed up, it was hell to pay. Like, okay? What kind of work is being done? What, what is all the work? Okay, I'll give you an example. There's about six major events that are done by the church every year. There's the... Uh, in New Year's, there's a major event, okay? Mm-hmm. And then in March, uh, you have L. Ron Hubbard's birthday. And then in May, you have Dianetics. All what, right? do you guys, what do you guys do for L. Ron's birthday? Well, there would be an event where you would show him in various aspects of life, improving life in some aspect, and we'd have a video on that, and we would have to write music for that. Cine uh, would have to shoot the pictures or take old pictures and produce these, edit them. We'd do music for it, and we'd have a product so at an event. When David's doing the event, they could present this. For uh, when the, the anniversary of Dianetics, Modern Science, and Mental Health, that was another event. Okay. And then in so the you're sum- preparing for events, essentially. All the time. It went... You'd end one, you'd have to start the next one. In June, you have the anniversary of the maiden voyage. That was something we did every year. And then there's Auditor's Day in August, all right? And then there's the International Association of Scientology event in October. So all this time, you're just constantly working. You're never hanging out with your son. You don't You don't have any quality time together. Sometimes he would come to the base for two months and wouldn't even give me a phone call. Look, Joe, you got to understand. I wish the fuck this didn't turn out this way, okay? Just... Straight up. So do you, I, do you I will, feel responsible in any way for bringing him in? Well, everybody deals with life the way they deal with it. My yeah. other son isn't that way, and my daughters aren't that way. But is your other son Scientology as well? He's out of Scientology now. He quit, did he quit with you? He quit earlier than me. And what about your daughters? They're in. They're in. Yes. And, and if are you they disconnected were, from them? They're disconnected from me. Right, you're not allowed to. They're they're not allowed to talk to you. Well, here's what happens though. If they were to talk to me, their friends would disconnect from them. If you have a job with a Scientology employer and they found out that you talked to me, you'd get fired that day. It's insidious. It spreads out. The penalty for talking to what's called a suppressive person, which would be me, like a real life prick. As an example, when I was 70 years old, David and my two daughters bought me a car. Okay? A car. When I was 75 years old, my daughter sent me 75 gifts. Now I left. Now I'm the worst father who's ever lived. I'm a slime ball. They character assassinate me on their hate sites. Mm-hmm. They would give a car to somebody who was that bad? Oh, we made a mistake. He really was a prick all along. It doesn't make sense. So if you're trying to make sense out of it, it doesn't make sense. But this is built into the policy of Scientology. Anybody who leaves... Could be and says anything about the church could be considered to be a suppressive person. And was this always the case, or is this In been policy, exacerbated? No. Uh, well, L. Ron Hubbard wrote the policies while he was alive. He also wrote more fiction than anybody that's ever lived. Yeah. Does everybody know that inside the church? Uh, they probably do. Yeah. But didn't they? Does anybody make that connection? No. That's no. The guy wrote more fake shit than any person that's ever walked the face of the earth. But he also had the time to talk to the aliens to get all this data. Yeah. To write this real stuff. Uh, that is just. 
that is a that's that's a suspension of disbelief that yeah. defies logic. Well, as or I said, defies defies understanding. I yeah, say. look, maybe, as I said earlier, maybe I just need to get to a higher OTC. What is it? Is that it? OT levels. OT. OT level operating Thetan levels. Oh, okay, but you got to understand, most people who do it don't have rocks in their head. They're not nuts. They're not stupid people. No, I've talked. I had a neighbor who's a Scientologist. A very nice guy. Yeah. And he sort of fit that bill that I was talking I, I get about earlier. Here, sure, go ahead. He fit that bill that I was talking about earlier, where he's a guy that's always improving himself. He's healthy, exercised. Yeah. He's well kept. He was a nice neighbor. He's a good guy. And uh, you know, I was like, all right. I, I, I sort of looked into Scientology after I became friends with him. You know, I mean, I got the book early on, like I said, but I never really did anything other than read the book. I never. Looked into this is before the internet. Yeah, you know? the internet sort of exposed all this stuff. That, to a that lot was of the end of it. Yeah, that literally is the end of Scientology. And how much has it dropped off since then? Well, it's been estimated by people who would know that there's maybe twenty thousand Scientologists right now. What was it at its peak? I think it was in the early nineties, about a hundred thousand. Wow. Yeah, twenty thousand. That's like a a good Louis C.K. concert. <laughs> well, the thing is. Most people, like at that international base, are people who have been around for 25, 30, 35, 40 years. Right. And you think, okay, how could you live this way? Look, most people are not going to do what I do. I was 76 when I, 76 years old when I left, okay? And you were 75 when they gave you 75 gifts. So well, you're yeah. like, this is not enough. I got to get the fuck out of here. I need... <laughs> no. <laughs> you mean not enough gifts? I should have yeah. gotten 76, right? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I I was this. Well, actually, I'll tell you something that happened, and I brought this just to show you. And you have a little. What is that? It's a Kindle. Kindle. Okay. Are okay. you allowed to have those in there? No. Really? You can't have a Kindle. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why. What happened is this: David gave me this Kindle, and he's right? like, "Shh." Oh, and the security you. guards were doing their nut trying to get it away from me. But they wouldn't come in strong army because David is the man. So David gave it to you, and the security guards are trying to take it away from you. Why? Okay, I didn't know. Did you tell him it was loaded up with L. Ron Hubbard books? Well, it was. <laughs> no, it was his fiction books that he put in there for Battlefield me. Battlefield Earth? No, not Battlefield Earth, nor Mission Earth. But the other earlier fiction was oh, on there. Oh, okay. Which I, I thought was pretty interesting. But anyway... They're trying to get this. I say, hey, fuck you, man. Dave right. gave me this. This is mine, right. you know. Oh, okay, Ron, they'd back off. Now, one day, I'm reading something, and there's a feature on here where you see this. Is the camera on that now? Yeah. Okay. You see this little switch here? Mm-hmm. That goes this way, this way, up, down, okay. and in. So if you got a word that you'd like to look up and get the meaning of, you'd go to the library, or not the library, the dictionary, and you'd select the word and press it to the right, and it would say, search store. I accidentally held it a little bit too long, and it went right past search store to Google. I was on the internet with no filter. <sighs> with your Kindle. With my Kindle. I, what the fuck is this? You didn't even know about the Google back then? I knew about the Google, but there was filter on all their 
uh, oh, but computers. You could go through it with There's that. no filter on this. Wow. And that's why the security guards were trying to get it. But they wouldn't tell me that, obviously. They're not going to say, well, there's no filter so you can get on the internet. I mean, these guys weren't that swift. They weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. But but how did they know then? How did they know about that feature? Uh, they're the ones who, if you get a computer, you give it to them, they put a filter on it, and then they give it back to you. Oh, okay. So they just never... So they got some techno geeks who knew how to do that shit. But they had never done that to the Kindle. But they wanted to. Well, okay. they wanted to take it away so from me, straight up. So did you start up. Googling stuff with your Kindle? I looked at Google. Now, <sighs> this is the first time I told this story, by the way, Joe. This is an exclusive, you know? Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. One of the things I looked at was like L. Ron Hubbard's war record. He was not a hero. He didn't have two purple hearts. This is a fucking made-up story. Yeah. And there was a girl named Annie Tidman who was with L. Ron Hubbard when he died. Annie Tidman was a, a messenger with L. Ron Hubbard since she was a little girl. And she was with him when he actually died. So Annie was a long-term loyal Scientologist. She's at the base where I lived in Hammett. And she got lung cancer. So they sent her to Los Angeles to get care. And they sent a girl down to be like a personal servant to take care of her needs so she'd be okay. So occasionally I would say to Mar uh, Martine, who's the medical liaison officer, in other words, she took care of our health and she'd have us go to the doctors and stuff. I said, Martine, how's Annie doing? Oh, Ronnie, she's doing great. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm on a Kindle. She died six months earlier. Never told anybody on the base. Now we're living in these apartments on the base. This is several days later. And uh, there was a building called a laundry room where you took your clothes to get cleaned and pressed. You picked up sheets, little amenities like that. And there's two girls outside the laundry room. And they said, Ronnie, would you want to chip in for a birthday present for Annie? I said, nah, I'm going to pass on it now. And they thought, Jesus Christ. They either know and they're keeping up the ruse or they don't know and they're being used as what, shields. Pawns shields to make sure make sure people think she's still alive right well that was a major thing for me i then started to think i got to get out of here mind you i thought earlier things were starting to go south and we would have i'll give you an example here's what happened we're on the ship and we're playing for a show at one of these maiden voyages uh anniversary things and we have a guy there who's uh no, he's not a rap artist, but he's like a beatbox, you know? <laughs> you know, he can use his voice yeah, <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. So now Dougie's up there, and then he starts saying, you know, he says, I'll tell you, my kid was picked up by the cops the other day, but he's not really a bad kid, you know? He's hanging out with the wrong guys and blah, blah, blah. And he's all saying this shit that you don't say to this exclusive audience. David hears that. To handle this, me and the rest of the band were sent to work in the bilges on the ship. Because he fucked up, we paid the price. What I should have done was kicked in the band, because I was directing the band, kicked in the band and start playing the music and drowned them out. You go in a bilge, the temperature down there is between 125 and 130 degrees. I'm in my 60s. It doesn't matter. Shit like that would go on. 
So when things like that would happen, I thought, man, we can't live this way. But my wife, Becky, she is an eternal optimist. She would always say, Ron, it's going to get better. It can't keep on going this way. And I'd say, Becky, listen, if you see a boulder rolling down a mountain, that boulder is not going to stop and start rolling up. It's going to get worse. If things are going bad, they have a tendency to continue going bad. It's just fantastic to me that you found out all this information on Google. Yeah. And that you were shielded from all this stuff. Yeah. That's that's the craziest part. And you, you were 75 at the time? At, Somewhere in that range? When, I was in my 70s in that time. I think it was two years later that we actually escaped. So how did you escape? Well, first of all... Um, I used to run the music department, and when I say run it, you know, I'd make sure we did all the jobs we're supposed to do, and I would compose music. I worked with a guy by the name of Peter Schles, and uh, we we had some nice shit that we did together. So at this point, you'd been in for how many years? 40 years? No, no, 50? in the C organization, over 20-some years. 20-something years in the C organization, yeah. and all in all, Scientology, much more than that. Yeah, well, I was in Scientology for forty-two years. And this is this is your only source of income. Yeah, it's fifty. Well, to begin with, when I got in, we got thirty bucks a week, and then generous. Went, what's that? Generous. Well, it went up to fifty. Dollars. It went up to fifty. Ooh, then it's a big raise. When you got paid? When you got paid? When sometimes you got paid? You know, one, sometimes you go for months without getting paid at all. Now, the downside of that is you ain't paying much into Social Security. So if you leave, like some of these people who leave, they got shit for Social Security. They may have no, no place to go, no marketable skill, uh, no car. What are they going to do? Right. So, the, you know, people so say, they well, stay. they stay. They gut it out. And yeah. that's in the position that you were in. What, what made you decide? Okay. Well. Just the Google information? No. No, it, it was the treatment, the way people were being treated, and some of the shit that went down. Like, so you would you been okay if they treated you well, and you still found no, out that if, that woman had been dead for six months, and L. Ron Hubbard wasn't really a warrior? No, hero. but I'll tell you what: if they had been actually disseminating this information, and people on this planet were doing better, and life was becoming better for large numbers of people. I don't know if I still might be there. In other words, so if you if could do Scientology something, well, you was could, really being effective and doing what you thought it was supposed to do, precisely, which is help humanity. Precisely. Do you think that at the core that its potential to help humanity is still there? You think that, like, like no. you were saying that the beginning stages of Scientology are beneficial, and there is yeah. something like if they got all these beneficial things, yeah. and just offered those, the odds of that happening. The odds now I'm right. talking about would be the same odds as me turning into a penguin right now. It's not likely to happen. Not so likely. Not no. not very likely. Maybe you know. And your son, he's going to be running it forever. Does he? Is, There's is it absolutely a, nobody who's going to take over. Is it election? Like how's it no work? No fucking election. He's, he runs it, and that's the end of it. He's surrounded by people. I guess you'd call them sycophants or sycophants. That sycophants, yeah. Who just pump him up all the time. And if he says, "You know, I would like to have such and such," maybe he might want an, a, a different car. Uh, they'll go out and get it. For what him, are you know? those people like? What are the people like that, that surround him that enable him to maintain this power? They feel that he is a power source, and they support him. A they'll, power source because he's a, he runs the organization. Well, yeah, because he got his tax exemption. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll do things. He's tough. Uh, he's, he's, actually, David is a very smart guy. 
if it weren't for this streak in him where he attained all this power and had this shit going on in Scientology, who knows? I think he could be successful at anything. Well, He's, I believe that as well. I think anybody who gets to, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but anybody gets to any, even a position of being like a drug kingpin, like yeah. Pablo Escobar, I'm sure he could have been successful at other things You're had right, he Joe. decided to focus his his mind in that direction. You're exactly right, and that's how I feel. So you feel like your son just fucked up in getting on a path that is, in your eyes, illegitimate versus, you know, him being yeah, CEO you, of IBM or something like that. You could say that. You could say that, and I'll tell you, I think you'd be, you would be correct. Not I think. You would be. Does, have you ever talked to him about Scientology? You, you, you don't bring it up. You, you don't bring it up. No, I mean, look. Take anybody with that much power. Do you think you can sit down and say, now, look, what I think is, what the fuck are you talking to me about? I'm running this fucking show, you know? Yeah, but if it's your dad, I, th- I would think you would just sit I down. didn't have that line with him. I'm telling you. Ugh. Listen, if you're a Scientologist and you're at that level, you are of the belief that no spiritual being is another spiritual being's mother or father or daughter or sister. Hmm. You happen to be occupying a body that maybe was given to you by another person, but in your heart, you're actually an independent thinking life unit, an immortal one to boot, okay? Right. Okay, but let me ask you this. Do people really believe that, or do they just kind of go along with it because everybody else is going along with it? Is it, does there ever, is there ever a time where you're alone with somebody else in the Sea Org, maybe you're uh, setting up some video or something like that, and someone goes, hey, man, is this shit on the up and up? Very seldom. Very seldom. And, but what? Well, I'll tell you why, happen. though. Why? I'll tell you why. The walls of yours? No, fuck no. Well, you're telling this to somebody, they, they might write a knowledge report on you. A knowledge report. Now you're in deep shit, mm. okay? Jamie, I'm writing a knowledge report now, as soon as we leave here. <laughs> okay, listen. Okay. You might laugh, but boy, when it's happened, it's I'm serious sure. shit. Listen, I'm sure. And if it's found out later that he said this to you and you didn't write a knowledge report, you are as culpable as he is for saying and that. And what happens to you? Somebody writes a knowledge You're going for interrogation. Oh, what do they do? They talk to you? <clears throat> Sit you down in a meter. Tell you oh. what are your crimes. What, what what evil purpose do you have toward Ooh. David? What evil purpose do you have toward L. Ron Hubbard? Mm. What thoughts have you had about leaving... What mm. thoughts have you had about destroying the organization? Mm. Anything of a harmful nature. But what if that, you say, man, fuck this place? What, do you, do they, they kick you out? No. So no, how does that work? What if, you, what if you get there, what if someone writes a knowledge report and you go, you know what, man, I've been thinking. I got on Google. I started reading a bunch of stuff. I think it's all bullshit. I don't even want to be here anymore, man. And yeah. fuck, fuck all this working for 50 bucks a week. This is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. Why are we all doing this? Why don't we just take the beginning parts of this and just get rid of all the stupid shit about you know separating from your children and make this thing better? What do you say? What would they do to you? Well, first of all, you wouldn't dare do that if you were at a place like I was at the international base, okay, which is Golden Era Productions in Hammett, California. Why? What would they do to you? They'd seize you. And then what happens? And you'd be sequestered from the rest of the group. Put into a place where you weren't associating with the rest of the group. Right. You'd go to lunch at a different time. Mm. You'd have a security guard watching you morning, afternoon, and night. And you can never leave? So, that's right. Somebody what if would, you like, what if, what if you say, I just want to go home? 
I want to get out of here. I want to go get an apartment somewhere. Can't do it, man. You just can't do it. So you'd they would just kept. it fucking physically keep you. It physically like hold physically you down. Physically hold you back. Like put you back. in a jail. Yeah, in listen, jail. And if the church, well, I'm sure they're going to hear this, but they're going to say, "Oh, Ron could have left any time he could." That's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. If I would have been caught, what I was trying to leave, which I'm going to get into, I didn't okay. forget we were talking about okay. that. If I would have been caught, they would have taken me and Becky, taken the keys to my car. I would have been sequestered from her. She'd been sequestered from me. We would have both been security checked. Sit down with the hands on an e-meter, which right. I'm sure you know what it is. Yeah, right? I did one of those once. Okay. I don't really think it works. You don't think it works? <laughs> no. Sometimes it does. Okay. But that's not the point. Okay. You'd sit down with that and be interrogated. Right. And then you'd work maybe four or five hours away at some manual labor. And when you weren't doing that, you'd be back on the, on the cans again, as they say. What if you don't work? What if you're like, fuck you, I don't want to work? Yeah, like a difficult bastard, right? Yeah, like what's ever happened? What's that, has anybody ever rebelled? I mean, it's human nature to rebel against authority. Yeah, but... There's a certain amount of human nature to, to succumb, but... But when you're up at a place where you have three or four hundred people who feel differently, right. you're not that brave, But okay? does anybody ever have the gumption or the notion to go, hey, what the fuck are we doing? Does Some that ever people, happen? Okay, maybe... Well, no, what they do is they escape, like I did. That's it? Yeah. They don't, they don't speak up? Well, if they the speak up, they reports. know what they're in for. Right. They know what they're in for. Who the f- Here, there was a guy named Alex. He wanted to route out. It took him four fucking years to route out. Route well, out? That's what they call it. When you, that's the proper way to leave, where you sit down and you do this routing for him. It's basically security checking you till you're, you know, for years. So once you, say if you f- sign a five-year contract. Yeah. yeah would you say there's, is that A five-year contract. You would be at an outer org. There, you just walk out of the fucking place. People do that. An outer org. But you can't do that at the Sea Org. Well, not. At, you, you could in Los Angeles. But at the international base, you're living on a compound. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded with barbed wire pointing in and pointing out. You're right. not going to jump that fence. Or you'll really screw yourself up. I understand. Up. But if you say, uh, say if you sign a five-year contract, when the fifth year is up, you get to leave? Yeah. Okay. They're going to try to get you to re- re-enlist, okay? Oh. But if you're at, let's say you're working at one of the organizations in L.A., okay? Okay. You can walk out in the street and say, hey, see you later. What are they right. going to do? Because you're, you're in the free world. You're in the free world. You're, you're not, not in, in the free world at the international base. I understand. All right? So you had to plot some sort of an out. So you had to think about it, and then you had to work with the wife, and you guys had to like hush, hush. Right, and you asked me what led to that. Well, there's one major thing that led to it, and that was this. We got a new music director. I didn't want to have the post anymore. I was getting old and got this young guy, and I would write melodies all day, all week, months. Every melody I ever wrote was rejected by him. In other words, everything I was doing was a piece of shit, but I couldn't quit. So this this new guy was not fun to work with terrible it was terrible listen i was the only one who had gotten a recording contract on my own steam nobody gave it to me i didn't have a rich daddy or something Mm -hmm. a contract with chapels publishing for my writing and asked to play on the bbc nobody had achieved that in that department now maybe my skills weren't up to how they write modern music and i used to beg him i said listen what do you want as an acceptable particle i'm a trained musician uh, let me give me some ideas what you want, and I'll start writing that. Fuck you, learn it just like I did. This is how I was treated. 
Well, it doesn't sound like a fun time. So, so you, wait you couldn't talk I, to your son and say, hey, kid, listen, this fucking new guy sucks. Wait a minute. I did that. I called him. And I, I didn't call say? him. I wrote to him. I said, Dave, you got to get together with me. Right. So we got together. And I said, look, I'm working all day long and nothing I'm doing is being approved. You got to get me a different job. I said, I don't care if you get me a job waxing cars in motor pool, but I want to do something. So at the end of the day, you can say, here's what he did. Okay. You know? Right. I get it. He says, I'll look into it. He never looked into it. A couple months later, I said to Becky, look, we're getting the fuck out of here. Then we started planning. So what was your plan as far as like getting a job? Because you had been working there for 25 years. Well, I'm a, I'm a good musician. I'm not just a, a punk. I mean, I play quite a bit of jobs in Milwaukee. So you had skills. I have skills. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a good salesman, too, you know. Um, I also, <clears throat> here's how I look. Okay. I'm 76 years old. I want to spend the rest of my life suffering out every day. Fuck this. Right. I'm getting the shit. I'm getting out of here, okay? Right. Got it. And Becky finally says, okay. And she saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to get better. Right. So now... We don't want to leave and leave everything behind because what little possessions we had was what we had. All right. So we started. My, by the way, I mentioned a little earlier that my daughter sent me 75 gifts, gifts on uh -huh. my 75th birthday. Right. Yeah. Becky came up with the idea. My mother is going to celebrate. By the way, my wife's younger than me. My first wife I divorced from and married a much younger woman. So her mother is going to have her 70th birthday. So we decide to send her mother 70 gifts. Now, in order to do this, it has to go through the security guards. So we would send her like a detailing kit for a car. I mean, her chances of detailing a car as a gift were nil to none. But they saw that, okay, we're sending her 70 gifts, so it got through them. Mm -hmm. We sent her, sent her our li L. Ron Hubbard library, books that we had, some other things, and we got a lot of stuff out of there that I couldn't fit in the car when we were going. Ah. You see what I'm saying? Smart. And then, after all was said and done, when we got everything out of there, we plotted it out, and I did this on Sunday mornings. On Sunday mornings, you had breakfast at 9 o'clock. Now... We lived on the southern side of the base, and we lived in rooms. You couldn't have a refrigerator. You couldn't have a coffee maker there. But across the street, on the north side, I worked in the studio. There was a refrigerator there, and I used to keep, like, Italian salami, maybe suprasat, uh, some Parmesan cheese, Romano cheese. So early Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and I planned this out because there's two gates. There's one main gate where there's a security guard sitting in a booth, and then down the road about 200 yards, there's another gate where there's a little camera, and they see you coming, and they got used to me going across to the north side to go to the studio, and I'd come back through the main gate and bring the security guards a piece of cheese or salami. So they thought, hey, Sunday morning he's going to get his goodies. In other words, I'm feeding the watchdogs. This is set up. Right. Right. So comes the day we're going to leave, March 25th, 2012. We get up real early, and I had a little notebook. I must have checked it 20 times, what I wanted to take, what I wanted to leave behind. Like the night before, and by the way, my biggest cover on being able to get out of there was the fact that I was 76 years old, and I was the father of the chairman of the board. Nobody would suspect that I was going to leave unauthorizedly. All right? Okay. 
So I'm out with a mesh bag full of shoes putting in the car, and one of the security guards come by on his bicycle, an Italian guy, Sal. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? Ah, good, you know. And he sees me putting this in, but he justifies it in his mind. Oh, he's putting stuff in his car. Right. Doesn't think twice why I'm doing it. Of course. Another guy's coming by, an old-time Scientologist. I have a bag of clothes I'm putting in the car. Ronnie, how's it going? Good deal, Norm. Yeah. All right, you know, put it in the car. So we got through all that. Okay. So now, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, we get in the car, we're loaded up, and we're driving down. To get to that second gate is about a half mile down the road. We go there, and I'm going past our mess hall where we would eat, and this is called Masco Canyon Inn or MCI. It's where the crew would eat their meals. And I see the chase car. Like on Sunday morning, there's only two security guards on duty. One is in the main booth, and the other, the other one is in a car so he can rove, and it's called a chase car. Okay. So the chase car is parked outside of the mess hall. I knew Sal was in there. So I go around another 100 yards down the road, get to the gate, and by the way, at this point, my heart is in my throat, all right? Because when I hit that buzzer, if Jurgen would have said, come up to the booth, that was it. I was fucked. Okay. Hit the buzzer. Didn't say anything. The gate opens. I pulled out of the gate. This is Becky. We're turning left. So I turned left, jammed the throttle, and I knew I had to make it down to these. There's three roads. One goes to Route 60, uh-huh. straight ahead, rather. The other one goes to Route 10, and if I turn left, I go in the hammock. I knew by the time I'm going down the road, and he would be on trying to get me on the next hill. Ron, what the hell are you doing? Then he'd call Sal. Sal, get up to the booth pronto. I know Sal would have to run out, get in the car. I'd already be at those crossroads or the tree roads. So I knew when Sal came, he'd either turn right or go straight ahead. I turned left, went in the hammock. We hit the boondocks, and I was free. Wow. So what did you do then? We drove to Wisconsin. Did you have money on you? Yeah, I had money on me. And I paid, for, every, I paid for everything cash, Joe. You only get 50 bucks a week. How long did you save money? Well, I was also getting Social Security, so I would salt that away. All right, very low amount, by the way, because right, because you want to make much money. Yeah, yeah, it's just bullshit. Right. But anyway, I paid for gas with cash. We ate for cash. We stayed in the motel two nights. I paid cash because you couldn't use your credit cards because they'd be able to track you. Exactly. So when you finally surfaced, how'd you surface? I went to her mother's place. And then what happens then? Does, do they well, try to get you? Like, yeah, how does that work? Well, here's what happens. No, believe me. Do they try to bring you back? You know, look, Ron, yeah, it's oh, been yeah. a big misunderstanding. Oh, well, here's how it went. About two weeks later, we're sitting in her mother's house, and it's a split level where there's an upstairs and downstairs in the kitchen. The window is almost level with the ground. You know how a split uh-huh. level goes? And I'm looking out the window. We're having breakfast coffee, and I see this girl outside, Marion. And I thought, fuck, okay, they found me. So I went through the garage outside, and there's Greg Woolhair. And he says, ah, oh, Ronnie, I guess you're surprised it took us so long to get here. Ha, ha, ha. We thought you were going to go to Lori's place. We never thought you'd come here. Ha, ha, ha. Like nothing happened, you know? Right. So he says, okay. So uh, I says, Greg, listen, you're just wasting your time. I'm not going back. And he says, Ron, I says, hey, I don't want to live that life, man. It was a terrible fucking life. I'm not doing it again. He says, you blew. That's a term they use if you leave without authorization. And he pulled out this policy. It's called leaving in leaves. And what it says. Leaving is in leaves? Leaving 
and leaves. That's the name of it. And what it says in there substantially is this. The only reason a person leaves a group is because they have committed harmful acts against the group. Mm. And they want to remove themselves so they don't keep on committing harmful acts against the group. How convenient. No shit. You can't just leave because you want to leave. You have to be a or bad Or the guy. fact that, you know, you're working maybe 12, 14, 16 hours a day, sometimes not going to sleep for three but days. But you got that raise to 50 bucks a week. I shouldn't have done it. It's a nice raise. So you've, you, what do you do then when, they, when you say you're not going back? Well, they try to convince me, and uh, it got to the point. And says, guys, you're wasting your time. I am not going back. And I went in town, and I saw him a couple times, and they says, come on, we'll take you out to a nice place to eat. We'll take you to a movie. Like they're going to schmooze me into going back to live that life. Greg says to me, Ronnie, look, you can go to Flag. You'll have your own apartment. You have a kitchen. We know you like to cook. And then you can train some of the guys how to sell. You can play with the band down there. I said, Greg, you're out of your fucking mind. You get me down there, it's going to be the same thing. No, it won't, Ronnie. It went on. So do you think they were just trying to bullshit you like one not so i think absolutely so if you got there there'd be no apartment they'd punish you right out of knowledge report you can't do this yeah why do they want you to stay why do they give a fuck if you leave that's because i I would be what they consider to be a sensitive particle like these guys that were following me well here's what i mean by that like Dwayne powell and daniel powell well i was the father of the chairman of the board right that's a blight i mean did you ever talk to your son after this I tried to call him once. I tried to call him after I found out the PIs were following me and after I heard that he got on the phone and said, if he dies, let him die. Don't intervene. Don't do anything. This is what you heard, right? You well, heard, you can hear you it too. That. You, you, you can go recording on Tony Ortega's. That? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Tony Ortega, Underground Bunker, and you can hear these interviews. Okay? Okay. okay. They're as public as you're going to get. But you don't hear his actual words. No. Okay, so but it's there'd really be just no hearsay? reason that this guy would make up that story. Yeah, because but people do make things up, right? Well, okay, let's put it this way. But I'm way. just playing devil's advocate. You here. can play devil's advocate. The father was interrogated to begin with. He told the same story. The son came in later, didn't have a chance to talk to his father. Told the same story. Okay, um, so you haven't had a chance to talk to your son. I called and uh, an attorney got on the phone and said, "Ron, David won't talk to you. He doesn't feel he could trust you." Now, let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. As a father, because I'm a father and you're a father, the idea of being estranged from your kids in that way, where your kid hates you and your kid doesn't want anybody to save you if you die, do you feel any remorse? Do you feel like in any way you fucked up? Do you ever look at your life and go, how did I, how did I lose my connection with my son? Listen. It's written in policy to do what David did. There's a policy that says, listen, somebody who leaves. I understand that entirely, but I'm talking about as a human being. As a human being. As a human being, I thought it was terrible because we had a good life together. But do you feel any responsibility? Do you feel like there's anything you could have done differently? Yeah, not get him in Scientology. That's it? So you feel like once he got into Scientology, it's not your fault? He lives his life. He's the one who got the power to do all these things. I understand, but you raised him, right? I mean, whatever connection and bond yeah, that you and developed had, with we him. We had a great life together when he was growing up, too. That didn't carry forth in some way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, obviously, I'm not in Scientology, and obviously, I'm, I was not in your situation. Yeah. But I can't imagine that you must, you, you must have gone over it 
and looked at your communications with him and wondered if maybe if you extended yourself more, if you talked more, if some, is there something you could have done that would have prevented any of this? Joe, you're dreaming. I, I don't mind telling you that. Okay. Please and do. I'm doing it with all respect. Okay. Cause you're, you're, uh, you do good interviews. I've seen you do other interviews and I, I, I've, I'm happy you got me on the show. No, I couldn't have done anything different except maybe not get him in Scientology. So you feel like once, once he got the power, was that was listen. There's policy that L. Ron Hubbard wrote, mm-hmm. and David loved L. Ron Hubbard, and he applies the policy Does to David a T. Does David believe all that stuff? Does he believe? Well, he's got the... to. There's a policy called so, fair game. Are you familiar with that? No. What's that? Fair game. If somebody uh, goes against the church or talks out against the church, and they're declared a suppressive person. Uh huh. He can be lied to, tricked to, and destroyed uh, with no punishment on the person who did it. But that's not I what I mean. S- uh, what I mean is the, the the really crazy stuff, like the the stuff that sounds like science fiction about like the Thetans and dropping them in a volcano and the hydrogen bomb and all that stuff. Does does everybody believe that stuff? I think a lot of people do believe it. Is it discussed? No, you don't discuss that. No one discusses. No it. one discusses. It. So but when let's you're sitting get back around to the, the Sea Org, but no, let's get thing. Get back to what's pertinent to this, and okay. that's the policy, how to operate as a group. That one, the fair game policy, is written. And by the way, just to satisfy you, I'll send you soft copies if you can no, give me your no, email. No, it's okay. It's okay. Okay, here's another one. Uh, if a person does this, find or manufacture data about the person. Okay, so once you've become their enemy, they, they're going to fucking them, ruin you. You left them, you're, you know, you're the the dad of the chairman of the board you're a sensitive particle you got a real problem that's right okay so that's you right. said they took out a bunch of different website addresses like not, not a bunch 500 in other words they got 500 iterations of my name variations so no matter what you put in and by the way i have a website which i did just did and it's called the real ron miscavige.com okay and you could see my website but if you put any other thing in there, you're going to get a hate site that tells you things about me that you think I was the worst person who ever lived. Did you write this book? Did, what, was the, what was the motivation? Did you want to make money? Or no, did absolutely you, not. I wanted to help But you did more. make money, right? You made some money. Yeah, but that isn't the reason of writing a book. The reason to write it is... That's the only reason I'd write a book. Well, not me. <laughs> <laughs> the hundreds of families it's that are disconnected from their kids. I understand. And listen... I knew if I, and by the way, what led me to write it was not even him saying, if he dies, let him die. I then took a CD with these uh, interrogations on of Daniel Powell and Dave, and, and Dwayne Powell. And my wife and I drove down to Florida to see my daughters. And I was going to play these for them because now they're disconnected from me. So I went to my daughter's, daughter Lori's place. She's not home. I went to Denise's place. Her husband, Jerry, answered the door answered the door about that far, and he's talking to me. I said, Jerry, I'd like to speak to Denise. Well, you can't because she's not here. I said, well, look, where is she? Because i, I got to get in communication with her. He says, no, you have to go to the church and handle it with the church. I said, Jerry, for Christ's sake. And Jerry's in as well. Everybody, yeah, of course he is. Yeah, they are. Like, if your wife's in, you have to be in. Is that how it works? It basically is. You, you, okay. So he said, no, you got to handle it with them. And I said, it's a waste of time. So I'm talking to him for about 20 minutes, and I finally said, Jerry, what's up? What does this mean? He said, well, I'll tell you why. Denise and I are through with you and Becky forever. Mm. That was it. You know, fuck you. Mm. I'm going to do a book and I'm going to expose what you do to people. Because 
if I did a blog, who am I? I'm going to get maybe a couple thousand people to look at this blog. But a book, I knew that I could get, and I was on 2020. I was on a Megyn Kelly show. I was on Late Night with Seth Meyers. So we got a lot of exposure, a lot of books. A lot of people are seeing what they did. And I'm just hoping enough people do this so they're going to drop that disconnection policy. Because that's a killer. So do you think if they drop the disconnection policy, maybe a lot of the other policies would be more tolerable? I think if they dropped the disconnection policy and allowed you to talk to your family, listen, if they wanted to do Scientology and I could still talk to them, I wouldn't give a shit. I'd say, fine, do what you want to do. Look. But wouldn't it bother you that they can't leave? No, they're public. Because they're not in the Sea Org. They're not in the Sea Org. Okay. But But you can't really leave if you're public. Like, was uh, Leah Remini in the Sea Org? No, she's a public Scientologist. Right, but when when she left, she... She took her whole family with her, right? So they didn't get a chance to, you know, pick them out and say, "Look, you got to, yeah. you got to disconnect from Leah." That is like one of the things that is like a, a hallmark operation of problematic organizations, right? They separate separate you from your family. I think it's terrible. I think it's the worst thing you can do to a person. Look, and I'm but not forty five fucking right? years anymore. Okay, right? I'm eighty one years old in January. I would like to see my family. I would like to have some time. We got pictures of my great-grandchildren on their Facebooks. I've never met these kids. I don't even know what their names are. Son of a bitch. I mean. And you feel like your kids are going to be in there forever? Yeah. And they've never expressed any dissatisfaction? Well, when I was in the Sea Org, I was not around them. We would only communicate through letters or we'd send each other gifts. Mm-hmm. on birthdays or Christmas or something. I couldn't get leaves to see them. At one point, my daughter, Lori, went to see David and said, listen, if Dad can't come to see us, we would like to go to see him. So he acceded. Just imagine, she had to ask him if it's okay to come and see me. And t- they came to the Celebrity Center, and we spent about four days together and just having a good time, me cooking, just enjoying their company. It just... The whole scene is, is really bad. It's just not okay. And it's the way it's set up. It's built into the fucking DNA as to how to control people. And you have a threat. You have extortion. You have leverage. And that's what that is. That is why I wrote the book. When you look back on your life, joining this in the 1970s, 1970s? 1970. When you look back on your life and you, uh, you think about that move, that initial move of joining... What goes on in your head? I don't think about it because there's nothing I can do about it. But I can tell you this. <clears throat> I wouldn't have done it. In other words, if I knew then what I knew now. Of course. I'd say, hey, you know, fuck you, man. I'm not doing this. Right. What do you think? I'm nuts. Do new people join all the time? I can't imagine there's very many new people joining right now. You know, unless they're a shepherd or somebody like that or somebody who's never looked at the Internet. You can't possibly. And this is what people do. The check something out. They'll Google it. That's very common. And you start looking at anything. Oh, do I want to get involved in this? You know. By the way, in the book, <clears throat> I give references to books that were written in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, the New Thought movement. And there's many, many, many datums about life that if you were a Scientologist and you see these, you say, wait a minute, L. Ron Hubbard used to say this. All right. 
talking about the uh, reactive mind. Do you remember that from Dianetics? Mm-hmm. William Atkinson um, and other guys, they talk about the subconscious mind. It records 24 hours a day. They're talking about the same thing he was. Well, Lawrence Wright talked about that in Going Clear. He said that it seems like at least some of what was going on was L. Ron Hubbard trying to self-medicate. That he was writing things Probably. to try to cure his own ills. Probably, yeah. But these people, I mean, you can go on the internet and get these books for 99 cents because mm-hmm. it's past 75 years. You can't, you can't copyright them. Right. And, of course, you wouldn't know. If you weren't a Scientologist, you wouldn't know which parts that he took out of that. But I've run across many, many things in the books that he just lifted, almost copied and pasted it and mm-hmm. put it into what he called Scientology. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's trying to get a great collection of work on how to work the mind, yeah. how the mind works. And it worked then, so he knew it would work now. And so there is something to some of some of the principles. That's what not you've a question, said. Not a question about it, Joe. And you think to this day that if you could remove a lot of it. If you could filter it down to those things that are provably workable. Do you think uh, it's savable? Do you think, like, like, let's say this. What if, you know, your son listens to this podcast and he's like, what the fuck? This, li- this world, who knows? This life is not going to last forever. What am I doing? I can't even talk to my dad. What? Maybe, I've, maybe I've lost my way. Maybe I get together with him and we try to figure this out. Yeah. And he says, what can we do to make this better? <laughs> I know, I'm, saying, I'm no, talking crazy. But I know I'm talking crazy. That's right? okay. What the hell, you know? But I mean, what, let's just, as an exercise, what would you do? If he said, let's talk it out, I'd talk yeah. to him. I'll talk to anybody, anytime, said, about hey, anything. If he said, listen, say, okay, no, one, you know, no I, new people are joining Scientology. We've got a real problem. What do you think is the beneficial aspects of it that we should keep and what should we get rid of? And I think he would come up with the things that I come up with also. And so you have wrote about those in this book? I tell about four points you could do and you could salvage it. But the the chances of that happening are just so remote. I, I wouldn't bet two cents on well, it. Well, we're not even trying to bet on it. But yeah. do you think that that is just what happens with people? They get into these positions. You, you create an ideology or you Well, no, least... it's, the, it's the power. It's right. the acquisition of power. And then in order to keep that power, because I think power is almost like a drug. That's almost like crack cocaine. You get hooked on it. You don't want to let go of it. Right. And now you have things going to hell around you. You're going to do anything you can perceive to be beneficial to keep it going and start implementing that. And like buying new buildings and just making them into these palaces for people to come and do services. And then you drive by them and there's nobody in them. Just nobody in them. Where are they getting all the money to buy these buildings? People donate it. But there's only 20,000 people. Yeah, but you have whales, man. There are people inside. A whale is. That's what you guys call them? Well, I'm calling them a whale, and as a matter of fact, that's like a gambling term. It is. It's somebody who goes to Las Vegas, and yeah. they got a lot of dough, and they blow it all. They get crazy. Come right. on, seven, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a whale. Yeah. Okay. Well, you have people in there, and I feel no need to mention their names. I'll I'll tell you off the air, but I, okay, I, I don't want to throw them. But there's a lot of very wealthy the, people, and they donate a ton of ton of cash. One guy had a, a medical procedure. He sold for something like two two point four billion dollars. Who knows? He probably gave about fifty or sixty million dollars to the church. And the church. What does he get for that? Do they take him around one of those things, like one of those old school king things? 
No. What are those things called? They carry you around one of those carts? I don't know. Get a bunch of dudes that hold the cool. poles. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, That'd be dope. History of the World Part One. <laughs> Madeline Kahn was on it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One of those. What are those it's things great, called? Man. They carry you around. I don't know, but I'll I'll check it out and I'll I'll send you an email. You know. No, but anyway, Jamie, will look it up. Look, no, they get a huge trophy. Okay. Oh, they, you get a trophy for fifty oh, I mean, million. Like, Six feet tall, and nice. you go on the stage and get your picture taken with David, and he congratulates what you. What about those like big uh, dinner plate gold medals? That was it called a litter. Wow, like how weird! A litter is a class of wheelless vehicles, a type of human powered transport. A simple litter, often called a king carrier, consists of a sling attached along to lengths of poles or stretched inside a frame. Hmm, interesting. Now so you it's know. called a litter. I would have never guessed a no, litter. I, I wouldn't have either. How weird. Yeah. Like, what does uh, Tom Cruise have to get to get one of those giant-ass gold medals that's bigger than the Olympics? Oh, the Medal of Valor. Oh, Valor. Well, that's a different situation. Let me tell you something. Wait, tell me, tell me when, something. When, when you're a celebrity of his stature, there's no rules. No rules? No, you're, you're catered to— What about to... a celebrity of my stature, like a minor league celebrity? What kind of, what kind of sweet yeah, perks could I get? Yeah, you'd be pampered. Ooh. You'd be pampered, yeah. Like good seats at a restaurant or something like that? Well, good seats at, at an event. Look at that juicy gold medal. That's beautiful. Yeah. I might join just to get a nice medal. Man, what I <laughs> Stand in front of that big globe. Hmm. And I tell you, that Pretty set dope. is put together. I and bet. that takes a lot of work. I bet. Look at that handsome bastard. Perfect cheeks. Good nose structure. Guy's yeah. 55 years old. He looks great. Yeah. What's he, what, how are they keeping him alive? He, he's, I, he looks great. Like, he's no, one of those guys that doesn't look like he's aging. I know, no. He, he probably works out. Well, I'm sure he works out. He's got to work out. When, when I... Uh, he's a great actor, right? Admit yeah, to that, he, right? he is. He the is Edge good. of Tomorrow. Did you ever see that? Science fiction movie? It's no, I never did. It's a fucking great movie. Do you, that's what it's called, right? The Edge of Tomorrow? The one where he keeps coming back to life again? Live, yeah, Live, Die, Repeat. The kind that's of a fucking great movie. That I think he's so wacky that a lot of his movies, they don't get the credit they deserve. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he's so wacky, people are like, oh, this motherfucker. Well, no, he's he's a draw. And people oh, enjoy watching him act. I mean, draw. There, there's no two ways about that's it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think that people don't respect the movie as much, like people that are real connoisseurs of film. Yeah. That's a fantastic science fiction movie. And what's it called? The Edge of Tomorrow. It's when did really it come out? good. Three years ago, maybe four? Something like that. Wow. It's a great movie, man. But I, I feel I like. If someone with no controversy attached to them was the star of that movie, it would have been critically acclaimed. It's, yeah. a, it's an amazing film. It doesn't have any holes in it. It's really good. Well, I tell you, there's controversy attached to him, isn't there? There's a little bit. Yeah. If you said there wasn't, you'd be glib. <laughs> Don't be glib. Well, I know he works out. <laughs> when he, he got a house in um, Beverly Hills, I put the gym in. I, I got the equipment for the uh-huh. gym in that house. And, uh, well, he's a winner. I mean, he's yeah. just a winner. And he attributes a lot of those winning attitudes to Scientology. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his uh, his focus and the way he looks at things. That's what I always think of when I or used to think of before I started researching it and finding all the wacky stuff. But yeah. before I knew what Scientology was, I thought of it as being like, uh, I thought of Dianetics, right? I thought Dianetics was sort of like anthony robbins unlimited power like oh yeah. this is like a guideline for getting your shit together and yeah and that's what i've always wanted to do my whole life i've always felt like ah, i wish i was more disciplined i wish i got my shit together more maybe i need to read more books and so i'd read anthony robbins and then i read dianetics yeah. i thought they were kind of the same thing back in the day well anthony robbins did steal some things from <gasps> scientology there's no two ways about it no and um 
There's also another thing called Est. Yes, I've heard that, of that. That used some I of the Scientology. I know guys in that right now. Is that, is yeah. that a, a cult too? It is, but I mean... They're a little bit more... Um, look, I don't, know too, I don't know too much about it, but I know mm. that there are some people who've done it who felt they had a lot of good wins out of it, okay? Mm. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, when you look at a guy like Tom Cruise, it's kind of undeniable yeah. that that guy is very successful, very driven, motivated, right? Yeah, but don't forget, it wasn't just Scientology that did that for him. I mean, he talent. was... He is a talented individual. Right. I remember the first one he did about, he was a kid at the Valley Forge Military Academy. I forget what it's called yeah. now. Taps. Taps, yeah. yeah. And when I saw that, I thought, man, I like this guy. Well, I he was thought in that he was... Pony Boy movie too, right? What the fuck was that called? Outsiders. Outsiders. Yeah, he was yeah. in that too. It's a great actor. Yeah, and he, he did one with Paul Newman where he was a pool shark. Remember that? Color of Money, one of Color my favorite money. movies. No, I mean, there's no two ways about it. And individually, I mean, I met him many times. He's a nice guy. So... What is does he have any knowledge of all this stuff when he sees all this disconnection and if he's a nice guy why doesn't he step in and go hey Dave we got to fucking cut this shit Listen I can't imagine that he doesn't know about it I can't imagine that And so he just like a guy like you separated from your family it's beyond his control it's with LRH He wants. would never do anything to go against Dave Why is that He considers David to be the top spiritual being on this planet Look at they're saluting each other Yep that's Jesus that's at the event. At the Are they in the military? Pardon me? Are they in the military? Are they? Yeah. No. This so is... why are they saluting each other? Just curious. What the fuck's going okay, on there? Okay, the SEA organization. when I see you in the morning, I wanna, we're saluting from now on. We're going to salute each other. Fuck it. If he could do it. Yeah. How does that work? Could anybody salute anybody? Or is that rude? Is it like cultural appropriation? It's like a person walking around with a Pocahontas outfit on. Could people get mad at you? No, anybody can salute another person. You, you might see somebody going off of a plane and say, hey. Have a good trip. Yeah, man. but you would do it like in almost in tongue in cheek, a yeah. jest. Hey, you fucking animal, away, you. Yeah. I love you. Okay, so right? the the Sea Organization is a military type organization, and you would salute people in the in the military. But it's just right? non ironic saluting outside yeah. of the military just seems awful odd. Yeah, and yeah. Well, there's a lot of things odd about it, but for whatever reason, it's it's kept on going, and. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why. That man right there, Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. People look at him and go, this guy's in it. He's a winner. Well, now, here's what L. Ron Hubbard said, that if you, we should get uh, celebrities in because they are opinion leaders. And what do you do with an opinion leader? You want to be like that person. Right. And if an opinion leader is a Scientologist, well, I'm going to try this out. Mm. I'm going to try out Scientology. What's John Travolta like? Very nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. He I met is him a once. nice guy. Yeah, he's literally a nice guy. And uh, so there's something those guys are getting out of it. Yeah, John Travolta and Kirstie Alley and people like that. They yeah. get they get auditing and they get pampered and they don't have to follow money rules. Mm. So for them, so it's, it's almost it's different... like they're a part of like a gang or something. You're in a clique. You're in a clique. Okay. You know? You're in and a clique. Just... Everybody kisses your ass. It's nice. Nobody wants to piss you off if right. you get pissed off like Leah. Well, with Leah, she saw shit go on, and Shelly was not there with David when they were at Tom Cruise's wedding, and she said to Tommy Davis, where is Shelly? And Tommy Davis says, listen, you don't have the fucking rank to ask that question. Oh, you got to get a higher rank? I thought she was was like OT, whatever. No, that was a figure of speech. Okay. If he would have said, look, Shelly's off doing a correction program, that's why she's not here. Leah might still be in Scientology. Oh, so a correction program is Shelley fucked up. That's right. And it, and everybody in Scientology knows sometimes 
Sea Org member isn't seeing. If you say, well, doing a, doing a correction program, they'd go, oh, okay. And uh, that so, would be it. So they, the mistake was they disrespected Leah. And they she's, dis- she's very fiery. Not a little bit. Really fiery. Yeah. She's from Brooklyn. She's very fiery. She's a great person, too. Yeah. Okay. She's, you know how I met Leah? How'd you meet her? I was in Celebrity Center in what's called the president's office. And I was there for some event many years ago. Is there an election? The, no. So how does someone get to be president? No, it's just you, you're given the post of the president of that organization. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just granted. Now, Leah comes walking out of this room, and she said, I got the part. I said, what do you mean you got the part? She says, I got the part. I says, who are you? She says, my name is Leah. I got the part in this new show. Called the King of Queens. Hey, hey, congratulations. He gave her a hug. That's how I met her. The day she got the part. And we've been good buddies ever since. I met her real close to that time as well. Yeah? I'm good buddies with Kevin James. Oh. And Kevin James was, you know, obviously the lead of the King of Queens. And uh, he's a stand-up comic. We came up together. And, uh, you know... I'd always, uh, I was like, she's, what is she, a Scientologist or something? He's like, yeah, she's all focused. She does all the Scientology shit. He goes, ah, get the fuck out. He goes, yeah, he, but he's he, a funny he, man. He, oh, he's a very funny he's guy. He's very funny. He's hilarious. Guy. Yeah. Um, and he just was like, oh, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And that was it. Like, yeah. he didn't talk about it. She didn't talk about it. Yeah. I know. And and the show went on no matter what. Yeah. They're, they're well, both professionals. Show. Oh, great show. I enjoy it, and I've watched very little TV, but that was a show, and I could pick it up any time and watch it. Another thing I can watch is the Eagles beating the, the Giants meltdown at the Meadowlands. I don't know. You ever see that? No. Well, the Eagles are down three touchdowns. They come back and win in the last 13 seconds. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Okay. You're so, reminiscing now? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little change of pace, you know, okay. break the tension here, you know. I understand. There's no tension. I know that. So listen, Ron. Good luck with this book. It's called Ruthless. Um, people can get it everywhere. You know, I'm a, an eternal optimist, and I would hope that one day you'd be able to speak to your kids, and one day you'd be able to speak to your son, and everybody could work this out. But I would hope for the same thing, and I guess I'm starting to lose uh, hope on that matter because it's, the years are going by now. I've been out for like five years, and I don't know what's going to change it other than maybe enough people speaking out and them dropping that disconnection policy. Talk to Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, holler at me. Let's do a podcast, buddy. Come on in here. Let's straighten this whole bullshit out. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it, buddy. Okay. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. My pleasure. I appreciate it. I know I said his name about 15 different times. Miscavige. Miscavige. I don't know which one it is. He's a a nice gentleman. and I enjoy talking to him, but it's a sad... I don't know. I'm just a fucking pussy. Just a pussy when it comes to parent-child relations especially this one um thanks to my sponsors uh thanks to caveman coffee first go to cavemancoffeeco.com use the code word rogan and uh save 10 percent off of any of their awesome products thank you to audible.com forward slash joe go there and get yourself a free audio book and a 30-day trial audible.com forward slash joe Thanks to Onnit. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. And thank you to LegalZoom. Go to LegalZoom.com and use the code word Rogan at checkout for special savings. All right, we did it. Um, In the interest of full disclosure, 
I record these ads after the podcast. And in a day like today, I record these ads after I do two podcasts. So that's why I'm a little weirded out. So uh, I'm gonna we're gonna finish this one up. And if you're like on a plane or if you're on a road trip or some shit like this, this next one. There's some moments. There there's some moments that are really good. But goddamn, you gotta get through some hair pulling. You gotta get this. Alright, I'm not I'm giving it away. We'll see you soon. <laughs>